start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. I also don't believe in drugs. For years, I paid my people extra so they wouldn't do that kind of business. Somebody comes to them and says, I have powders. If you put up three, $4,000 investment, we can make 50000 distributing. So they can't resist. I want to control it as a business to keep it respectable. I don't want it near schools. I don't want it sold to children. That's an infamia. My city, we would keep the traffic in the dark, people, to call it. They're animals anyway, so let them move their souls. I hope that we could come here and reason together. And as a reasonable man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to find a peaceful solution to this problem. Then we are agreed. The traffic and drugs will be permitted, but controlled. And Don Corleone will give her protection in the East, and there will be... Okay. Hello, Baltimore. Happy Monday. My name is Tyrone Boast, owner of BPPW Heating Cooling. And welcome to our show, Call Tyrone. I'm here with my millennial co-host, my African-American history and cultural gangsters, Leroy Myers, graduate student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. His area of study is the dynamics of African-American and Native American history. Say hello, Leroy. Oh, hello. Happy Monday, everybody. Okay. Leroy is in Oklahoma. So people across the nation are listening, learning, and enjoying our show. <laughs> okay. And also, my, my other millennial, uh, my other erudite millennial, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He is a socially conscious vegan and producer of the Channel 10 podcast, which features interviews with pioneering rap artists. Good afternoon, Baltimore. Hope everybody's having a great Monday. Okay, that first clip you heard was uh, from The Godfather. I know anybody saw, saw The Godfather, they remember that clip. That, that movie was made in 1972, and it's about the, the meeting of the crime families. There were several f crime families from all over the country that came to meet because Don Coleon didn't want to sell drugs, be, you know, because he felt like it would come back and haunt them, and, and it would come back and, and actually destroy them in the end, even though they want, might want to keep it, you know, concealed to certain neighborhoods. Okay, and that's a fictional. <laughs> That is fiction, but there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of truth in fiction, as we see what's going on in our neighborhoods. And, and by the way, uh, black people do not control the drug trade, okay? That, that is uh, a figment of other people's imagination. Uh, we're, we're mainly low-level, you know, arrestable people, you know, the, the face of the, the um, war on drugs. And we're going to talk about the new face of heroin, by the way. And um, uh, there is a new face. And also, what we're going to talk about is some solutions. Uh, and what I, what I will tell you is, and I'm going to tell you to this day, 
law enforcement, and and I give you a hundred dollars if 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 I'm wrong. Law enforcement, and I but I know I'm not wrong. Law enforcement will not end drug use. Okay, it will not. You can you can no, neither did it, just like it didn't end alcohol use in the, in the, in the uh, when it was illegal from 1919 to to uh, um, the 1930s. Okay, it did not end alcohol use nor alcohol prohibition, and it will not end. Drug use. You can lock up every Negro in the street, and then we will still have drug use in this country. And there will always be drug use in this nation and all nations, and it always has been since ancient times. Okay? So, what we need to do is we need to figure out a way that actually works besides the war on drugs. And we're going to discuss how to win the war on drugs, or a winnable policy for the war on drugs uh, later. And then, by the way, people are willing to die to sell drugs, and they do so every day in this country. All right? People are willing to go to jail to sell drugs for long periods of time, 50, 50 years of death, sir. And they do so every day in this country. And people are willing to kill to sell drugs. And they do so every day in this country. All right? Despite all the law enforcement efforts and the billions of dollars spent every year in the war on drugs, uh, to this day we don't have safe neighborhoods and people are still using drugs. As a matter of fact, there's now, even as we speak, a heroin epidemic in the United States. But this time around, it's mainly affecting the vast majority of white, you know, white middle class people and their children. Okay, so the Arctic, the, the, the uh, it's kind of ironic that the grandchildren of the architects of the war on drugs are being served by the distribution networks that was set up as a result of the war on drugs. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to, since heroin is now an emergency, did y'all know that heroin is an emergency? It's an emergency in this state and in this country. So we're going to get uh, a speech by uh, first by Governor Hogan. He's going to show you how it's an emergency in the state of Maryland. So. To arrest and prosecute drug traffickers and to get treatment for those struggling with addiction. Uh, that's why today we're announcing more tools to help Western Maryland fight the heroin epidemic. Uh, today I'm announcing that we're awarding a $66,925 grant to the Washington County Sheriff's Office to identify and prosecute drug, drug traffickers and to help facilitate facilitate treatment for addicts. Okay, so now all of a sudden it's an epidemic and we need, we, you know, it's a health problem, you know, for, for the addicts. Okay, now I'm thinking that uh, <laughs> a lot of distributors are going to get more of the same, which, I mean, the main, the upper echelon, yeah, they should get it. They should get it. But the lower level deals, I'm pretty sure they're going to come down on them too. And there's a lot of violence associated with, with um, drug dealing. I'm not suggesting in any way that we uh, stop enforcing the law. The, the fact remains that we need to take the profit motive out of selling drugs, okay? So these kids can, can see that, you know, with this, this monstrous dropout rate we got, they can see that um, if you want to have some dollars in your pocket, you're going to have to get you a diploma and a job, okay? And I see a, the drug trade as an alternative to making a, uh, legal money. Okay, so let's go with, uh, since we know there's a, an epidemic, we now know there's an emergency in Maryland, let's go with the country, the nation. Barbara Mikulski made a speech just the other day about, you know, efforts to stop this great emergency. We also want to thank you today for continuing uh, this ongoing set of hearings on opiate abuse. Uh, in Maryland, it is indeed a public health uh, epidemic and a public health uh, emergency. Close to 600 people in Maryland died last year of an overdose. 50% of those were in Baltimore City. In Baltimore City last year, we had 300 people die of an opiate 
of a drug overdose. We also had 300 people shot, usually related to drug gangland-type killings, some of whom were children who were caught up in street massacres that were shot when sitting on their own front steps. Our governor, a Republican governor, says this is a public health emergency. No matter what county you go to in Maryland, this is indeed an epidemic. So we have one of our... Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I, I think Barbara Kowalski has been in office since 1987 as a senator, If, I'm, if <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. So now, all of a sudden, and I'm not knocking what she's doing. You know, I applaud her. Okay, I applaud her. I will accept. And I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking white people or anything. White people will always um, welcome to help us in our time of need. But in all fairness, she's been a senator since 1987. And now, and, and you know, as far as I can remember, one in ten, they were saying one in ten uh, people in Baltimore were addicts. But now, all of a sudden, um, it's a great emergency. And I remember when she was trying to sell the bill, when she was on TV, she said is the thing she used, the device she used to try to sell the bill was that it's hitting every zip code and that it's all across the country. And, um, you know, and that Mark, the uh, Anthony Bourdain tape that I play at the beginning of every show highlights the fact that there's a lot of drug addiction in places like New England, you know, and uh, <laughs> and um, places like uh, Seattle, Washington, places that are traditionally, um, you know, white domiciles. You know, and so I'm not saying I'm not saying that, you know, it's a racial thing, but I'll just let the facts speak for itself because nobody was seemed to be concerned about the uh, drug problem uh, till now. <laughs> now that do we have this what's called what they're calling the new face of heroin. OK, so um, <laughs> let's let's go with um, let's go with uh, treatment over incarceration. And then we'll talk about how one country won the war on drugs. Men and women, and it's primarily white. Authorities say the heroin surge is directly linked to the widespread abuse of prescription painkillers in this country. Four in five heroin users started out by misusing prescription drugs. When I was around 14 years old, my mom was actually on pain medicine, and I had real easy access to it. Joe Farmer is typical of what the media calls the new face of heroin. He's young, white, middle class, and lives in rural Hagerstown, Maryland. I started using heroin when I was 17. Someone told me, you know, I can't get pills, but, you know, I can get raw or heroin. He was sent to Maryland's Washington County Detention Center on heroin-related theft charges. The jail was one of the first in the nation to offer medication-assisted treatment with a drug called Vivitrol. We will get your Vivitrol shots here every month until you're released. Okay. You're not allergic to band-aids, tape, or anything like that? Okay. Unlike methadone, an opiate which replaces heroin, long-acting Vivitrol blocks heroin's effects. Vivitrol works on your opiate receptors and it blocks them. It's just a shot you get every month, and it just keeps you from getting high. Rebecca Hogemeyer started the program in 2011. She believes Vivitrol will help newly detoxed addicts stay clean after they leave jail. I was thinking they could offer this medication, and you could reduce recidivism at the same time. We've been arresting them for how long, and it hasn't helped. Has it made heroin addiction go away? Has it decreased the demand for heroin? No, it hasn't. Okay, okay. As she indicated, um, these 
these efforts to to uh, stop uh, the war on drugs by incarcerating uh, the Negroes who are selling them has not worked. It's been futile. Okay, and we we keep going down the same road. We keep going down that same road over and over again. And as I said before, I'm going to share with you a country that actually won the war on drugs, and we're going to find out why they did it. But you're going to learn things from this if you want to. If you stick around, I guarantee you're going to learn something from this because a lot of this stuff is hidden. We've been brainwashed to believe that, you know, hey, what we're doing is right, and, you know, these people are less than human, and, and we got to do what we got to do to suppress them. And as a result, as of 2001, one in six black males, and I'll let me time to say this, have, have been uh, part of law, you know, the uh, criminal justice system. And if the trend continues, one in three black males born today will be subjected to the criminal justice system. That's unacceptable, people. And we can't afford to lose another generation of black youth. So we got to find a solution to this and find them fast. Okay, let's take a call, Zach. Okay, so. Uh, By the way, if you want to call in, the number is 410-481-1010. 410-481-1010. Okay, we're going to go ahead to Marcus. How's it going? Good afternoon, Marcus. Uh, good afternoon to you all. Hey, how's it going, Marcus? What I want to know is now that it's an epidemic, when wasn't it an epidemic? And what are you going to do now that you couldn't do before? And it's a big money maker. I mean, so you're going to replace a drug with a drug? Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that, Marcus. We'll get to what the other countries are doing. What, what our country is going to probably do is, yes, replace a drug with a drug. It'll probably be uh, methadone. And, 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 um, but, the, but the focus should have been all along. Uh, on um, a health, public health issue because it is a public health issue, and one police officer indicated who was who used to be one of the warriors in the war on drugs. He indicated that once his family members started getting addicted to it, it started to touch them. Then now he, when he sees uh, an addict in the street, he doesn't see he sees them. He actually sees them as human beings now because it's affecting them. Whereas he didn't he didn't see the connection. So people are starting to come around and noticing that it's starting to affect their communities. When the perception was there was a black or brown thing, nobody really cared because it didn't affect them. Okay, but they recognize it now when it's affecting them, and there's going to be some effective strategies coming up. You trust me, they will be. And, now, and what, what we, I want to ask, let me finish. We've been trained to accept second-class citizenship. We've been trained to accept that since slavery and through all through Jim Crow. So right. we we can accept things happening to us that other people will never tolerate. Go okay, ahead. I'm sorry. What I want to say is, I, I understand. Um, uh, 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 getting the body clean, but what about recovery? I mean, what okay, about? Okay, well, well, we'll we'll discuss that later. We'll discuss that. Um, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let me um, I'm we, we, I'm gonna I'm, uh, move on, Charles. But okay. I mean, uh, Mar Marcus. But uh, I'll come back to your question at a later time. But for now, we'll keep moving. Okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna share. An, hold on a second. I'm gonna share an article with you guys from um, this is from the uh, principal of uh, of uh. Renaissance Academy High School, okay? And as we all know, we had three students uh, uh, recently died within a 90-day period at Renaissance Academy. And uh, there's absolutely no, not a shred of evidence or anything like that, nobody's appearing these people, that they were involved in the drug trade in any way or any, any shape or form. But as, as we all are, they were, they were um, subjected to the culture that comes out of, you know, the war on drugs, okay? And, 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 and as the... Uh, principal indicated it does affect us and and i think the commentary it was brilliant brilliantly written so just give me a minute and i'll get to the callers i know these boys are lighting up okay she goes and her name is uh nikia Rowe. if somebody from uh renaissance academy is, is listening please call in okay it goes uh 
There is an ancestral tale from the Arctic, which depicts how to kill a wolf. Folklore de describes how some indigenous people would dip a double-edged sword in the blood of prey and then pack the handle deeply into the frozen earth. Attracted to the smell of blood, the wolf would approach and begin to lick the blade. As the wolf licked, he would be fooled by the sensation of finally having his starvation eased. The more he licked, the more his mouth filled with blood. The wolf did not, the wolf did not realize that he is cutting his own mouth, tasting his own blood, licking himself to death. Who do we blame? We blame the wolf. We do not blame the trickery and cunning of the indigenous hunter who first buried a double-edged sword in the ice to intentionally kill the wolf. This is how Baltimoreans from all walks of life are able to sleep restfully at night. As African-American males attempt to lick themselves out of their oppression. I have had the honor of serving as the principal of Renaissance Academy High School in historic Upton Druid Heights for two years and seven months. We have lost three young African-American males, Aeneas Jolly, Darius Barney, and Daniel Jackson, under uniquely different circumstances. They were wolves, intelligent, courageous, and strong. However, their horrific and tragic deaths have been simplified solely through the connection they shared. They all attended Renaissance Academy. Believe me, I have grappled with the untimely coincidence of three males lost to violence in 90 days, all under age 18, all who attended the same high school. Then I come to my senses and realize this is the new normal in the city of Baltimore. Violence and the systems that sustain it are the new normal. Allow me to go deeper. Over the course of 370 days, we have borne witness to the unprecedented record-breaking violence, the death of Freddie Gray, civil unrest, a record year for murders, and the deaths of three high school boys, all from the same school. Carnage. This town is hemorrhaging, and few leaders want to address the systemic issue. The city, I'm sorry, the city has become complacent with violence. This is a systemic issue. In fact, it is so systemic ingrained, systemically ingrained that if this intentional destruction of the black male were happening anywhere else in the world, it would be called genocide. I grew up in Baltimore, so did I. Matter of fact, I went to Booker T, where Renaissance uh, Academy's house, and watched what was coded the war on drugs translate into annihilation of black and brown males across the city. And let me read that again. I grew up in Baltimore, and I agree totally with this statement. I grew up in Baltimore and watched what was coded the war on drugs translate into the annihilation of black and brown males across the city. The war on drugs locked up their fathers and other male figures, leaving the children without male guidance. The war on drugs secured their fate in being the primary commodity to supply the prison industry. It allowed for the free flow of illegal guns and heroin. It caused the children to shrink back into the shadows and, and adapt the cool pose. Well, I call it street code, but she calls it cool pose, but I know what she's talking about. A way of dressing, talking, and walking as a mechanism of defense and a way to belong. Simply refer to the historical record, and I'm going to get ready to close this. Liberate legislation and policies on housing, jobs, and other issues cemented deep poverty in West Baltimore. Perhaps you see the connection to our friend the wolf. Communities have eroded and marred with dilapidated buildings and infrastructure. A lack of markets ensures that children who need nourishment the most are trained to eat processed foods and chicken boxes. Yet we blame the wolf. We blame the people, not the select few who control the systems. We blame Anais Jolie, Darius Barney, and Daniel Jackson. These are the young men who lost their lives. Not the politicians who ignore them and others like them and prepare cots for them in juvenile and adult prisons and prevent the renovation of recreation centers. We blame, and I think they need some jobs too, but 
We, we blame Renaissance Academy, not the fact that the new schools are going up in areas that already have been gentrified. We blame parents, not the fact that they were victims of the same systems. We blame the poor, not the nonprofits who send just enough to resuscitate but lack commitment to long-term systemic change. We blame the voiceless. But every single day at Renaissance Academy, a small coalition of the willing fights as if it is their last day to uplift the children children and the communities in West Baltimore. Okay, that was an excellent article. I mean, I really, I mean, she, the writing is beautiful. I mean, it's very well put, and it's, in, it's put in a simplistic manner that, that any, anybody can understand. The other thing that the sister's trying to do, uh, the principal, from what I read from the uh, front page article, which was entitled, I Just Wanted to Stop, um, she says she wants to try to get 312 jobs. I mean, jobs for all 312 students. That's her goal for the summer. And that's an excellent idea because guess what? If you got a job, you learn the work ethic, you got a mentor there, you got a job. So as I said before, some of the jobs programs are mentoring program, people, and you're putting money in your pocket, especially if you're living in poverty. And you can't sell drugs and work at the same time at the same hours. So, you know, that, that would be an incentive that, hey, you can make it, and then working is the way to go. Um, uh, let's, let's, let's take another call. Okay. Uh, next up on the line, we have uh, Baba. How's it going, Baba? By the grace of creator, good. We are all still here. Absolutely. This, this fool is about the war on drugs is what Malcolm, Malcolm X would say. If you believe it's a, it's a war on drugs, up in the area of West Baltimore where I live, I see a lot of white people. And they have a lot of people that uh, is in that engagement of heroin. But it'd be white people coming up on bicycles, cars. I see them every day. Well, well, uh, well Bob, what I'm saying is white people got using all the drugs. Well, 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 that. Take care. Heroin right. and everything else. Because I see them with my own eyes every day. All right. All right. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> yes, white people are using drugs, and so are black people, okay? It's not just white thing, but the but the thing what, what they call the, uh, the use of heroin now, the explosive use of heroin now, they call it the, the new face of heroin, which kind of gives some kind of urgency to it because what the, the new se- the new face of heroin is is uh, self evident. You know, a lot of these people that are calling it that, they have family members that are touched by it, and all of a sudden it's an emergency. They you know they start to notice if no if it's not somebody in their communities, it's somebody in their families that's being touched by this. So now it's an emergency to them. Where where when when it was affecting us. Nobody really cared, including us, because as I said before, we've been trained to accept second-class citizenship. So um, let's uh, talk about um, Portugal, how Portugal won the war of drugs. Then we're going to take some calls. Those boards are lighting up. You just um, um, uh, hold on, people. We'll get to you. But I know, you know, just, just hang on. We're, we're going to show you how Portugal solved the uh, war on drugs or won the war on drugs. And it seemed that it was going well with the numbers. Well, a new report is out. After 11 years of this experiment, how has it gone so far? Well, the numbers are in, and they are astounding. Now, we were told by all the fear mongers, my God, if you decriminalize it, then the r- drug use is going to run rampant. Well, what about all these poor kids who suffer from drug abuse and their families, etc., etc.? You're condemning them to a worse fate, etc. And we said, hey, listen, if you decriminalize, it doesn't necessarily mean that the numbers are going to get worse. They might even get better. I think they would. So what happened in Portugal? They got better. But they didn't just get a little better. They got much better. So first of all, in the previous 10 years, 
the number of drug addicts being treated has dropped by half in Portugal. They cut the rate by 50%. What happened? I thought it was supposed to go up. No, there's far less drug addicts. And if you think that's an impressive number, drug-related diseases, including STDs and overdoses, have been reduced by an even greater number. So we knew that those numbers might be better if the government didn't criminalize it and, and treat it as some sort of thing that you should be locked up for for usage, right? And, but it turns out even the addiction rates have gone down dramatically, and now the drug usage rate in Portugal is among the lowest in the EU. It was a stunning success. Now the question for the rest of the world, and particularly for the United States of America, is are we gonna learn from facts? These people tried it, it worked, decriminalization works, you get less drug addicts, not more. Or are we gonna be, as usual, stubborn and say, no, America number one, whatever we do by definition must be the greatest. Oh, Europe, we're not gonna listen to Europe. All right, well, if we're going to actively choose to be stupid, then we get everything we deserve. But I think we should actually listen to facts and adjust our strategy. The war on drugs is a horrible, abysmal failure. It's time to end it. It's time to decriminalize these drugs so that we have less gang warfare, less killing, less people locked up for no reason, and actually... Okay, okay, now, that was an example of what one country did in regards to their drug war. And they, before they did that, they were had an exploding heroin epidemic, by the way. And uh, it's, it's gone down dr drastically. They, they've, uh, they turned into a, pro a public health issue. You get treatment on demand there. And um, I'm going to go over some things that we need to do specifically to us if we do go down that route. And uh, I don't think we should simply um, make drugs illegal and, and let that be end up. We need to take the profit motive out of the drugs. So, number one, we need to criminalize all drugs, provide treatment on demand for all those needing it. We need to launch a media campaign to uh, bombard TVs and, and, and radios and schools with best images of people who, real drug users, not a freaking egg in a frying pan, this is your brain on drugs, but real drug users and what happens to them after long-term use of drugs, you know, the tooth loss, you know, and et cetera. And um, we need a Marshall Plan, again, a Marshall Plan for, for the drug offenders and all people that um, were making a living selling drugs and couldn't get jobs anywhere else because of their criminal records. And we need to figure out a way to put these people back to work in order for this thing to be successful. But I think we can be successful. And besides, what we're doing now, it's not working. It hasn't worked. It will never work. And we're not going to have everybody come out the house and sing Kumbaya and it's going to be over. That's never going to happen, people. We have to take corrective action. And we have to do it soon, and we're going to lose another generation of urban youth. Next caller. Okay. Uh, next up on the line, we have uh, Charles. Charles, how's it going today? Uh, good morning. Um, oh, good afternoon, Rev. I just want to know, how can we stop the police from putting these drugs and these guns back into our community? As you can see on TV, they already caught three of them. This has been going on for centuries. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember reading an article where uh, it was a police officer from the 70s. And he actually said that he, they would take some of the police officers would take drugs and um, uh, they would put flour and replace the evidence, you know, they put flour and take the drugs and, and put them back on the street. So they were actually police officers dealing drugs. I don't, you know, I don't have any evidence of it, but this is what the the article, and I forget the, uh, the name of the article. And then he also um, said that, uh, he said that when they got close to people in the drug trade that were politically connected, they had to back off. 
they had to back off. They ended up transferring him out of that department, that narcotics department, because he was serious about his job. So, yes, there is some collusion. Whenever there's money involved in something, there's a possibility of corruption. Just like doing prohibition when alcohol was legal, you had police officers on the take, you had judges on the take, and you had um, uh, you had uh, uh, um, law enforcement, you know, law enforcement judges, and even and some cities mayors on the take. And so that that when there's money involved, you got deep pockets. You can pay off who you want to pay off, and some people are corrupt. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Next. Uh, looks like we uh, lost Charles, but yeah. next up on the line we have Don. How's it going? Good afternoon, Don. Uh, good evening, Joe. Good afternoon, John. Uh, I mean, the whole system is basically corrupt. It reminds me of that documentary they did on uh, Nation of Islam was uh, titled "The Hate That Hate Produced." Hmm. It's the same. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Drug policy. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> and then uh, I think the other caller was asking, you know, what do you, what do you ask? How are you gonna do? What are you gonna do about the guns and the drugs? Well, if drugs were legal, <laughs> and then all the profits was taken out of it. You know, the guns come with the drugs because when you're selling drugs, again, if you're selling drugs on, on the street, all right, and you let's say you're a five foot two punk, you're selling drugs on the street to, uh, to uh, desperate people, you better have a gun or somebody you're selling, you better have a gun, you know, to put down any type of uh, issues that arise from selling to those desperate people. Plus, you got people that are stick up people that are stick up the drug dealers. And you got turf wars, you know, another crew tries to move to the neighborhood or when somebody gets arrested, another crew tries to go, go in there and take that spot then you got violence that results from turf wars. So even when police make arrests on, on the street level, it usually ends up in violence. And any any uh, per, person in the police department, the police department understands that, and they will tell you that if they're pressed. Absolutely. You cr- you're creating industries. Right. It's a, it's, it's, and, and here's the thing. People in, in uh, Santan Winchester are poor. Places like that. I'm not just going to lean on Santan Winchester, but I got stats for them. And the, the, one of the stats suggests, and I'm, I'm pre, sure it's pretty similar in other black uh, communities, in, in this, uh, not, not all of them, but poor black communities, uh, they have a 51.8% unemployment rate, okay? If you get your lights turned off, you're not going to sit around and worry about, you know you can't get a job because you, got, you already got a criminal record. You're not going to sit around and just, um, you know, let your lights be, you know, let your, your mother's lights be off. You're going to do something, and I'm not justifying it. You're going to make yeah, some things happen. But nobody, nobody talks about the unemployment. The only only the person I hear about talking about the uh, real unemployment rate for the uh, young black youth is uh, Bernie Sanders. Everybody else talking about five point four percent. No, I mean the yeah. youth is that, crazy. That's a good point. The unemployment rate in Baltimore City is seven point four percent. Okay. Right. Okay. Now <laughs> again, in Maryland it's five point three percent. Okay. But <laughs> again, and and, and Santan was because I got stats for that. That's why I keep leaning on. The unemployment rate for 16 people, 16 to 64, 16 year old to 64, if 16 you should have a job, okay, is 51.8%. And people wonder why there's crime in that neighborhood, okay? Insane. Crime, that's crime third world. Yeah, that's third, third world. world. That's what Bernie Sanders said. Right. <laughs> so um, you made some good points, you know. All right. Okay, thank next up, uh, thank you for your comment. Uh, next up, we're going to go to Brother Carlos. Brother Carlos, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Carlos. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the problem is, as, as the Bible said, the root cause of, of the whole situation is the love of money, you know, is the root of all. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of money being made in the drug trade because it's illegal. You know, it has value. Any type of black market where people, you know, large numbers of people want it, just like when alcohol was illegal, they're going to get it. 
and then and there's going to be black markets created. If you make cigarettes, let's say you made cigarettes illegal today. Say, oh, cigarettes are bad. We know cigarettes are bad. We know, actually, we know alcohol is bad. Let's say you make cigarettes um, bad today. Then there will be a black market for cigarettes. The people will not stop smoking because you make cigarettes illegal, okay? That's the reality of it. And uh, matter of fact, Eric Garner was selling loose cigarettes when he was choked to death because cigarettes are so expensive in New York because of all the taxes. It's like $10 for a pack of cigarettes. That's right. So, uh, let me just uh, uh, go pick it back on what you said real quickly. And I want to, I think we should, as a community should keep our eye on this. Is you, you mentioned the new face of uh, drug addiction. Uh, and oh, they're going to do something about it now, trust me. <laughs> yeah, and it's being fought with this new uh, anti-addiction drug called Vivitrol. Vivitrol, right. You take it like once every it, few weeks. It, it is now operating through uh, the rural counties, uh, St. Mary's County. Uh, right, right. Uh, Washington County. County. Calvert mm-hmm. County, Absolutely. Uh, Frederick County. Uh, so they are using this. Uh, in fact, the governor has a four hundred thousand um, dollar allocation of funding. But I think that uh, we and uh, the people in Baltimore better, better better be aware because we may not uh, be entitled. Uh, we'll, we'll, oh yeah, they rather just give us methadone, keep us high. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want to give us something that, that's not an opiate. Yeah, Vivitrol is not an opiate. It's just it's, it's just uh, reduces the cravings for drugs. Exactly. Okay. So I think we need to keep out of the ball. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Good point. All, an all-in approach, you know, the case on approach, uh, uh, I think, and, and as well as these uh, these new uh, well anti-addiction drugs. Absolutely, Carlos. Yeah. And okay. there's only there's only two things that work in the war on drugs, and one was uh, the Mao Zedong's method, and Mao Zedong was was uh, dictator of China. And what, what exactly a bullet in the brain? <laughs> okay, yeah. that that was his cure for drug addiction. Okay, yeah. and that's for the drug dealers and for the for the people that were addicted. That worked. Okay, because you knew if you got caught with drugs or selling drugs, you would get shot. Also, in Saudi Arabia, they would behead you. Okay, for having drugs. And then when I was in the airport in, in uh, Egypt, they said uh, drug dealing is punishable by hanging in this country. Have a nice day. Okay, at the airport, just to let you know they're not playing that. They're so not playing it. they don't play that. No. Now we're not going to do that in this country, okay? Yeah. And I don't no. think we should. Um, no. It's a human rights violation because you get somebody the wrong person to hang them or whatever for nothing. But um, you know how it is with, with uh, the death penalty with us. So, so I don't agree with that. The other way is to legalize it. That's the only way that's ever been proven effective to combat drugs. I don't care what you say. You can try to fight the war on drugs till you're blue in the face. The way they're doing it, it's never going to work. I can guarantee you that. And I'll say I, it to the day I, I die. I agree. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on a minute, Zach. Um, okay. We're coming, to, we're coming up to the half, and then what we'll do is we're gonna uh, play the. I see the boards are still lighting up, and and uh, just hold tight. We're gonna do a, a, a commercial break because we cut up on the half. Did your air conditioning go bust this summer, or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter? I think you better call Those other companies tried to reduce my family's bank account to zero. But when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410 978 
888-646-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, uh, boards lighting up, um, but before we go to the boards, I want to hear from my millennials. Okay, uh, Zachary? So, uh, going back to uh, Senator Barbara Mikulski, who's been in uh, office, uh, you said, since 1987. Um, you know, I was born in 1987, and <laughs> um, I've been living in Baltimore for quite some time, and these issues have persisted. Um, so, it's it's a bit bittersweet, because on one end, I'm happy that all this research and all this attention is coming uh, to the problem, because, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't live in Baltimore and not be affected by... Uh, uh, by drugs uh, and specifically heroin, um, you know, it's definitely had an impact on uh, my life and, you know, some of the areas that I've lived and people that I've known. Um, so it's it's definitely bittersweet um, now that that um, it's it's um, becoming an epidemic in these other uh, counties and, you know, becoming an epidemic on people who um you know, aren't in the same demographic as myself. Um, you know, now all this attention is coming out to it. Now they have new research, new approaches, um, new drugs to combat it. Um, and, you know, the only question that I have is why? And, you know, um, I think that we definitely need more leadership. We need more uh, shows like this one to speak up on the issues and uh, show the facts. So, um, you know, it's definitely important that we uh, look at the facts. And the facts are that uh, when you make a substance criminal, um, when you uh, criminalize a substance, it increases the value of it and it makes it more lucrative. Um, and then when you combine that with um, poverty, with, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with poverty, with, you know, no options for jobs, um, you which was guarantee in a black market. Right. And, you know, all of that was created by the policy of uh, redlining, um, you know, and the uh, policies of uh, Jim Crow and segregation. So all of these different policies have compounded into what we have now. Um, and it's going to take, you know, some systematic effort to to deconstruct everything. Um, and we've talked about how everything connects um, a lot on this show. Um, and, you know, this is this is the finality of it, um, I suppose, is, you know, coming up with the with the solution. Absolutely. And uh, Leroy. Yeah, you know, um, you know, just, just focusing on this uh, on this heroin epidemic um, within Maryland and how Governor Hogan is trying to address it. Um, it seems to me, just based on what I've been reading, it seems that the let's say the ground zero for the heroin epidemic is kind of being it is is, is based in Western Maryland. Because <laughs> if, if you look at, I picked up the same uh, thing. Yeah. But something's being done, but go ahead. Yeah. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you look at his task force that, you know, that was created sometime in December in, the, in their final report, um, on December 8th, there was an announcement, you know, about grants being made in Western Maryland. And if you go into the final report on the, um, on the opioid heroin task force, they talk about how, you know, certain gaps have to be, kind of filled when it comes to certain services in Western Maryland. Um, and, you know, Baltimore City is an exception. The thing about Western Maryland is, though, is that if you look at the demography of it, 90% is white. The majority <laughs> of them are Republicans. Really? So I, I worked out there a couple times, you know, at the 
<laughs> There's a, um, a power plant out there I worked at when I was working for other people uh, in, the, in, the, in the building trains. I was running pipe in that uh, power plant. So, yeah, out, out in Western Maryland, places, West Virginia, places like that. I worked at Corning Glass in West Virginia uh, putting in some pipe systems. So you're right. That is the demographic out there. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, and with that being said, you know, Larry Hogan, he can make Western Maryland the ground zero for the heroin epidemic in Maryland and then at the same time kind of cater to his supporters. But if you look at um, Baltimore, period, you know, Baltimore City, I don't understand how you can really focus on, you know, just Western Maryland mainly when Baltimore City is deemed as the heroin capital of the country. <laughs> Absolutely. And with, a, and with a population of 600,000, about 68,000 are drug addicts. And then if you look deeper into that, uh, that, that population of drug addicts, about 48,000 of them are heroin addicts. I think so I read somewhere where they were saying, uh, McFadden, McFadden, to his credit, uh, I think that was who they were talking about. They had actually got Hogan to give more money to Baltimore. So you're well, right yeah, well, I mean, in your, well, yeah, in your premise. Well, they, yeah, I mean, yeah. They that was his initial they, thought. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, they have, but at the same time, more folks, I mean, more more money should be allocated towards Baltimore if it's the heroin capital of the world. So apparently Baltimore City isn't much of an exception when it comes to certain services compared to, like, to, to Western Maryland when it still has this big drug issue that's been going on since the 1950s. Absolutely. Okay. Sure. Let's let's talk about um, another country that went hard in the war on drugs. Let's talk about Mexico. And uh, tried to the cost of war, the cost of war on drugs in Mexico. Let's try that. Gunman tried to assassinate him twice last year. Here they hid and fired. Bang, bang, bang. One died here. I was there. I saw one of my bodyguards get shot. It was like a battlefield. Rodriguez became mayor of the fast-growing town of Garcia three years ago, vowing to confront the Zeta drug cartel that had taken over his town. The entire police force was in cahoots with the narcos and the cartels. City administrators collaborated, too. The entire city was under siege. The gangs hit first, three days after he took office, killing his personal security chief. Rodriguez struck back. I decided to fire all the police, and we did it. We closed 250 stores where drugs were being sold. I went after the top leadership of the Zetas living here, like El Piojo. That kind of toughness won him the nickname El Bronco, celebrated in song. And games like Bronco, they exterminated. But myth-making can't match the brutal statistics. Homicides in his state of Nuevo León, with Mexico's wealthiest city, Monterrey, skyrocketed six-fold in three years, from under 300 in 2009 to nearly 1,800 last year. Kidnappings, robbery, and extortion kept Sugar mill baron Alberto Santos says the social toll is huge. Soldiers and federal policemen and then the state policemen and municipal policemen all armed patrolling the city. That's shocking. We are living in the, in the middle of a war. The army arrived in November 2010, but last August brought a grisly turning point, the first wholesale massacre inside the city limits. A local casino was torched, killing 52 people trapped inside, ignited by the Zetas, police said, in an extortion dispute. Okay. 
that's what's going on in Mexico now, <laughs> in Garcia, Mexico. Now, it, it, uh, War, places like Juarez and other cities, you know, which I've been to Juarez years ago, they're just as bad. And there's a whole lot of crime associated with drugs, you know, the illegality of drugs and um, prostitution, et cetera, you know, et cetera, uh, sexual slavery, et cetera, associated with, with the war on drugs, with drug, the illegality of drugs and, and um, uh, criminalizing as opposed to health, you know, and the emphasis on health. So even though the Mexicans are fighting the war on drugs as hard as they can, they uh, even have, um, um, you know, mil- soldiers. <laughs> they had soldiers in, in uh, Garcia, the city of Garcia. And uh, they haven't quelled that, that violence. Um, there's, the more they do, it seems like the more violent it gets. They, got, they went up from 300 murders to 1,800 bur- murders. Okay, because so, it's making the value of drugs go up because of the risk involved in, in distributing it. So the, um, the, uh, the war on drugs has been a failure. And in, in, uh, Mexico as well. And by the way, they would, they got, there's tens of thousands of Mexicans that have disappeared. Okay. And the reason why they were able to pacify a lot of those cities in Mexico is because um, 40% of those disappearances were done by the government. Okay. They, you would actually disappear if you were out caught selling drugs or whatever sometimes. And nobody would know what happened to you. And sometimes if you weren't selling drugs, you might disappear. So that, just like in the United States, people that aren't, as we discussed in earlier shows, people that aren't involved in the drug trade get caught up as well. Okay, that is the danger of, of, of an active war on drugs. It's like I keep trying to beat into people's heads that this is not beneficial and never has been beneficial to black people, nor was that ever the intent of the war on drugs. So uh, that being said, let's go with the Mexican, um, the Mexican solutions. There's some smart people in Mexico, too, that know that what they're doing is not working. And there's a lot of human rights violations as a result, just like in the United States. Okay, so let's, let's see what the Mexican, uh, Mexican solution is. Violence on the narco side, mass shoot-ups and mutilated bodies, has shocked Mexico's conscience. Debate over how to end it is venturing beyond the long-held goals of better courts and schools and less corruption. Two formerly fringe ideas seem to be gaining traction. One is refocus the military assault on traffickers to really hammer the violent cartels, says Armando Santa Cruz. The priority should be to reduce the violence and keep the population safe. If getting a drug lord along the way is needed for that, good. If it's not, well, too bad. And if some other countries get mad, well, I'm really sorry. Mexico. Alberto Santos and other civic leaders have taken out ads urging debate on an even more radical idea. Legalization. The origin of the problem is the black market, the drugs. That's a huge business. The better police will not solve the problem of violence related to drugs. It's a big medical problem, and it should be addressed as a medical problem. For now, though, scared Mexicans. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was the, uh, the the smart Mexicans are starting to figure out that the problem is is uh, is the war on drugs for, for their country as well. And, it's, and, and if it, he, as one of the uh, Mexicans indicated, one of the smart Mexicans indicated, he said he, he doesn't care. If it affects the United States, if they let a drug lord go go through, they worry about their country. They worry about all the murders in their country, all all the uh, human rights violations that are going on. And if the United States want to keep buying drugs illegally, fine. We'll just let the drug lords keep sending it up there. But we need to stop the stuff in our country, and then we'll worry about other countries like the United States later that don't want to do deal with the problem. Okay, so let's take the next call. Then we'll go to Switzerland's solution. Okay, next up on the line we have Mohammed. Good afternoon, Mohammed. How's it going? Yes, uh, it's going pretty well. Good afternoon to you. Uh, Good afternoon, Muhammad. Yes, sir. Uh, 
Why do you propose uh, legalization? Is it because of our relationship with the American government and or society? No, I propose legalization because it, <laughs> the war on drugs has not worked for black people, Muhammad. I mean, uh, I know we won't, we don't, we don't want to accept this because we've been brainwashed to believe that that's the way to go. And it's hard, and, I, and we've been uh, trained to accept second-class citizenship since slavery. And then so to do these things to us, all the things involved in then prosecuting war on drugs, which is exclusively has been exclusively directed uh, uh, towards the black community, is acceptable to us because we feel like they deserve it. Okay, so, so, there's so, another way so, of going about it. Now I'll explain later. Legalization is really is real. I mean, it, it's a uh, it's an effort to stem the tide of all of the uh, you know all the mayhem that, that that proceeds from it, right? But, Absolutely. You know, because what the war on drugs, what the war, let me, Muhammad, let me finish, let me finish. The war on drugs is actually causing, let me miss, Muhammad, hold that, hold that, hold that call. Okay, um, okay, look, Muhammad, I'm going to talk now, and then I'll let you talk, all right? Muhammad, I know you, it's hard when, when you try to deprogram people that have been brainwashed, I know it's hard to do it, I, I know it. So uh, what I'm, that's why we're supplying the facts, it's not just us talking, it's the world talking too, explaining how they solve the problem, all right? So the, these are facts, this is not our opinion. Or anything. This is from our research, okay? So um, <laughs> what we're saying is that, you know, it's not going to stop everybody from using drugs to make it legal. It's not. That's never going to happen. It, well, it's illegal is not going to happen, okay? Portugal has not been able to stop everybody from using drugs. Nor were they able to do it when they spent billions of dollars to try to stop it. So what we need to focus on is the health, the health uh, implications of, of, of uh the war on drugs. Try to focus it from a, a public health issue because that's what it is. It's a public health issue. It's not a criminal issue. You can't stop people from getting something that they, they crave they want. We need to deal with this. We need treatment on demand and we need to re, uh, start employing these young people who see this as, a, this as an alternative lifestyle and are giving up on their education and everything else to go out and sell dope because they, the only men they see in their communities that have money are drug dealers. Go ahead. Put them back on. It looks like we uh, lost Muhammad. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Now, we're going to go to Muhammad, you call back if you want, but that's how I feel. And, and, and it's not just my opinion. It is, it is the facts that bear out. And we're going to talk about how, Swiss, how Switzerland solved the war on drugs, or how they won the war on drugs. So let's bring up the president of Switzerland. The war on drugs is the name Nixon gave 40 years ago to a campaign, a campaign with the aim of destroying the producers and the produce, uh, production of, of drugs and trying to protect the USA from drug arriving in this country. But this was a, a real failure because uh, the production grew in the countries, but also the harm of the war on drugs for the producer, for the population, uh, was always uh, increasing. The states of the, uh, of the world accepted that the priority in the drug issue is just to combat the crime and not to help the people to deal with the drug they can encounter in, at any corner of the streets. How is it possible not to see that this is not the policy that uh, comes to the aim, which is security for the people? neighborhoods where you can play and, and live normally, safety for, for everybody, and the public health. Okay, that was the uh, ex-president of Switzerland, uh, Ruth Dreyfus, and uh, they, they, they started to legalize drugs in, in the 90s. They, they, they had an exploding epidemic, just like Portugal, and the only way they could solve that problem 
and it, uh, as and it was AIDS too. They heard an AIDS epidemic at the same time, and they recognized that this was a problem. Our people are getting AIDS at epidemic levels, and and uh, you know we got this drug problem. So what they did was they legalized drugs. They they actually had dispensaries where you could go to a clean place where you go to and get weaned off drugs. They would actually give you heroin until you were weaned off of it. And when you go to court, you get sent, just like in Portugal, you get sent to treatment instead of sent to jail. Okay. And then you, there's other things there, um, like job, you know, where they would give you jobs, a job bank and all that stuff there, that treatment center to get you back on your feet. And what that's known as is harm reduction. Okay. This is what these countries are starting to see. And by the way, that's a democratic socialist country. Uh, Switzerland is. <laughs> and I know we got a Democratic soldier running for president who, who wants to end the war on drugs as well. But the war on drugs mainly affects us, people. It affects us. Our young are getting locked up. You know, we're the ones with the one in three uh, uh, people that are born today that may be uh, in the criminal justice system. And the main driver of that is the war on drugs. I want everybody to come out, sing Kumaya, hold hands, sing Dahu Porridge, okay, like they're in Whoville. But that's not going to happen, okay? There's always going to be people that are going to try to profit from the um, cell. Of, uh, and distribution of illegal narcotics. Okay. And I think, um, you, you know, it's important to stress that, you know, we in no way advocate, um, you know, the use of drugs. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, it might be a little counterintuitive for people, um, you know, to think that um, if you make something legal, then it's going to increase the use of it. But uh, time and time again, case after case and study after study, um, it shows that, you know, um, overall, it tends to decrease drug use. People who are drug users are able to uh, get more help. And also it increases a lot of I mean, it uh, helps a lot of the social issues that pop up around the illegal black markets um, associated with drug use, such as violence and uh, all the crime and um, et cetera. OK, let's go to uh, how, why the war on drugs does not work. And uh, we'll bring that clip. Why the war on drugs does not work. And uh, then we'll go to Leroy. We'll start closing after that. Of around $30 billion, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency has an efficiency rate of less than 1% when it comes to stopping the flow of drugs into the U.S. and inside the U.S. For many miners around the world, it's as easy to get illegal drugs as alcohol. But it doesn't stop here. Prohibition may prevent a certain amount of people from taking drugs, but in the process, it causes huge damage to society as a whole. Many of the problems we associate with drug use are actually caused by the war against them. For example, prohibition makes drugs stronger. The more potent drugs you can store in as little space as possible. Okay, all right, all right. That was a British guy trying to tell you why war drugs does not work. And uh, actually, further on in that clip, he explains that it's mainly uh, locking people up, does, you know, is mainly locking up minorities in this country. And he understands that. He doesn't live here. So... So there's a lot of reasons why, you know, we, we need to end the war on drugs. The main one being is to save a third generation of urban black youth, you know, in this country. Now, we can ignore it. We can be stupid and, and try to ignore facts and, and things that have worked in the world. OK, let's try to be on our own planet and try to ignore that stuff. Or we continue down the same road, which is not working. It's not working, people. It's not working. I know we've been brainwashed to accept second class citizenship and the fact that half our population should be, you know, put in uh, chains in jail somewhere, but I'm telling you, that's not acceptable to me. And we got to do something about it. We must do something about it. Okay, we're going to close because we get, well, we still got some time, right? Uh, Leroy, you got anything to add? 
Um, well, you know, well, according to the Cato Institute, you know, if you, if you if you would legalize drugs, it would generate a tax revenue of roughly $46.7 billion annually. So just imagine if... Uh, if, if drugs were legalized, you know, where that where those funds could be allocated to. OK. Well, and, well, and also, speaking of Cato Institute, let me um, read something uh, from Professor John McWhorter, who uh, who did a speech in front of the uh, Cato uh, Institute. And um, he's a professor at the University of Maryland, Berkeley. He said the war on drugs destroys black families. It's become a norm for black children to grow up in single parent homes. Their fathers away in prison for long spells and barely knowing them. In poor and working class black America, a man and woman raising their children together is, of all things, an unusual sight. Now, this is a professor at the University of Berkeley. This is not my opinion. The war on drugs plays a large part in this. It must stop. The war on drugs discourages young black men from seeking legal employment because the illegality of drugs keeps the prices high. There are high salaries to be made in selling them. This makes selling drugs a standing, tempting alternative to seeking lower-paying legal employment. The result is, a, a, is usually spells in jail as well as a failure to build the job skills for legal employment that serve as a foundation for a productive existence in middle and later life. The, <laughs> the war on drugs affects the black community. Uh, the war on drugs affects on the black community are imperious to community calls for discipline and leadership. Young black men will not be wooed from selling drugs by black leaders, Oprah and people like that, Al Sharpton and, and uh, Jesse Jackson. About black leaders calling for families to take responsibility for their children and keep them off the streets. It says, okay, the black community, okay, young black men will not be wooed from selling drugs by black leaders calling for families to take responsibility for their children and keep them off the streets. Hasn't happened yet. There are no national black leaders today who have this kind of influence over a significant portion of black people. And, th and there is simply no chance the NAACP committed to anti-discrimination activities rather than community uplift would preach in a constructive fashion anytime soon, if ever. And then Black America is too diverse today for the NAACP. And yeah, yeah, he goes on and on and talks about uh, Spike Lee and just that those people are, and he says those, and um, John Lewis, Bill Cosby, <laughs> and um, he says that these people do not determine what Black Americans do as a whole, think or does. These people do not have the wherewithal to translate their verdicts into federal policy. Okay, make no mistake. I propose that hard drugs be available for purchase for price below anything that could make a living for someone selling them on the street. They should be available in maintenance doses, possibly for free. Resources now tied up in useless enforcement will be used for truly effective rehabilitation programs. Fear of addic addiction epidemics are unfounded. None such has occurred in Portugal, where the drug war has been significantly scaled back. Okay, so, okay, so we're about to end this. And, um... Let's just try to look at this from a different perspective. Let's do our research, people, before we start popping off at the mouth about stuff we don't understand but have been taught and brainwashed to believe because this information is, is you got to do it on your own. You're not going to learn in school. You got to do this research on your own. And uh, this concludes another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And uh, be sure to tune in to us at 2 p.m. next Monday. Where we'll try to address some more problems and, and some little solutions as well because we, we don't just adjust the we don't just address the problems. We try to provide solutions to the problems. Okay, we have facts. We, this is not our opinion. It is facts. Thank you very much for your time.